Welcome to the Why Did I Get Cancer podcast. I'm Deborah Herlax Enos, a small town girl turned TV nutritionist and healthy living expert. I design health programs for the average guy or gal, including those average guys named Metallica. On September 1st, 2020, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. I asked every oncologist the same question, why did I get cancer? But none of my doctors had good answers for me. I wanted answers and that's why I started this podcast. I wanna help you to lower your cancer risk and provide self-care tips for those in the battle. I'm getting answers and I wanna share them with you. So many nutritionists these days are suggesting adding organ meats to your diet. That's why I loved this conversation with celebrity chef James Berry. He's created a product and it's actually organ meats that are turned into an amazing salt. So it's kind of a way to tiptoe into adding organ meats to your day. Organ meats are very rich in nutrients. Um, they're just, they just do wonderful things for your body. One question I wish I would have asked him is when he was a celebrity chef. Did he actually make organ meat for George Clooney? I may have to call him to find out, but I am asking you to listen to today's podcast. It is a topic I didn't know much about, and I've walked away with a new appreciation for giving organ meats a try. Welcome to the Why Did I Get Cancer podcast. Okay, you guys, today we are going to talk about a topic that I know almost nothing about other than I was forced to eat liver and onions when I was a kid. So you probably know where I'm going. And I want to welcome James Berry, celebrity chef and founder of the company Pluck. Hi, James. How's it going? Hello. Hi, Deborah. <laughs> you know, I get that so often, right? I mean, organ meats, right? The first thing is ick. Right, right. Especially when I think about, you know, nothing personal, mom, if you're listening, but, you know, liver and onions on Sunday night. And we were farmers, so nothing went to waste. So we ate the brain, the, or, you know, all that stuff. And I have bad, <laughs> bad memories. But now I'm thinking, oh my gosh, my, my mom was brilliant yeah. to, you know, to have us eat these things. You know, and a lot of times it's, 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 it's a mix. It's how it's prepared and sometimes who prepares it. Because if, you know, mm. hopefully this isn't true with your mom and yourself, but sometimes you've, if you have a contentious relationship, the person who prepared your food as a child, you start to associate those, those emotions with the, that food. But the, the one I find the most is how it was prepared. A lot of times we are overcooking organs, which brings out more of the metallic taste, mm -hmm. the texture, that chalky texture that people just don't like. Um, the texture, yes. yes. <laughs> and it's not just organs, right? I mean, look at other things like Brussels sprouts. You talk to most people who had mushy, pale green Brussels sprouts and they just make that ick taste, that, that ick face as well. And it's like, yeah, right. it's really, it's, it's how things are prepared. If, if, you, if you were made so organ true. meats, like in a very simple, very tasty way, you would love them. There's, there would be no ick. Okay, so ick aside, why in the <laughs> heck would we be eating things that the food industry throws out or turns into dog food? Yeah, it's such an amazing point, right? So uh, it's something like 51 or 49. I always forget which, which way the scale goes, but it's something like that percentage of the animal that we're not using. 
So I think that's fascinating right. when we talk about, you know, environment and that's a big topic right now, you know, the 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 carbon footprint of a cow and, you know, environmentalism and veganism and that that kind of contentious relationship they have. But I find it fascinating that here we are we are killing these animals and yet we're not utilizing as much of the animals mm-hmm. possible for human consumption. It's going towards pets or getting wasted, as you said. And it's fascinating to me because it's also the most nutrient-dense parts of the animal. And so when we talk about organ meats or another name for it is offal, which is, of course, a fantastic name based on how we started this podcast. <laughs> I, don't think, I don't think I've heard yeah, it's of offal. O- it's, really, that's- <laughs> it's called O-F- or spelled O-F-F-A-L, offal. Oh my gosh. Well, that is fitting, I will say, based <laughs> on some of the liver and onions I've eaten in my life. <laughs> they think the name comes from when you butcher an animal, it's the parts that fall off, you know, oh, that you don't, okay. you know, pretty much come out of the animal. That's where they okay. think the name came from, but it's a pretty old name. Um, mm-hmm. But basically, when we're talking about offal, we're talking about every part of the animal except the muscle meat and the bone. Now, the bone marrow is considered part of offal, but not the actual bone. Oh. And what's fascinating is that when you look back historically, well, why aren't, you know, why are or aren't we eating these organs? And it really goes back to industrialism, World War II. Those are two big markers. So one was when industrialism started, we had the train systems. You could then start having uh, animals that were slaughtered kind of around Detroit, middle America area, and then they could be trained uh, off to the the coasts, right? Well, they could only, uh, they could only train, you know, transport off what could be kept cold. And organ meats need to be kept colder than muscle meat. So right away during industrialization, you had less people eating organ meats because less people had opportunities to get access to them. So right away in in industrialism, you saw more muscle meat being promoted and less organ meat. Then you skip ahead to World War II, and then there was a fear of protein shortage. And so uh, because all the animal protein was getting shipped abroad to the soldiers, and so the government actually put money into um, supporting uh, that potential shortage. So they started Meatless Mondays. That's when it came out was World War II. They also started mm-hmm. calling organ That's meats right. variety meats and other things. Like They started a whole campaign to encourage people to eat organ meats. That's why your mother and potentially your grandmother were eating them is because that's how, what they were taught. Really? You know, that's how they were raised. And huh. what, what's fascinating, though, is that we huh. then lost touch with it because then you had men coming back from the war. During when they left, you had women starting to work at the home. When the men came back, they didn't want to stop mm-hmm. working. You, had, you now had more money coming into the household. And what do we do when we have more money? Well, we don't want the cheap cuts. We don't want the poor person's food, which organ meats mm. were considered poor person's food, right? So they wanted the roast huh. beef. They wanted the more expensive cuts. And so when you stop buying organ meats, then the butchers don't carry them because they don't want to lose money. And then we get into a situation where now we've not only don't see them at the butcher shop, but we lost the art of cooking them. And we don't then know where to source them because we're not seeing them in our our normal store. And then, of course, we start to lose the taste for them. Right. Um, So that's kind of a little history of organ meats. But Hmm. in terms of what they provide, now this, this is like, to me, the... 
the reason why we really need to think about this. Okay, so um, Dr. Bill Schindler, he's an archaeologist. He, he's got a, prod, a book and product called uh, Eat Like a Human. So he talks about this. Right, he's been a, he's been a guest on this podcast before. Oh, yeah. perfect. So, <laughs> so you know how fantastic yes. he is. He's, a, he's an, an awesome guy. Um, he, he talks about this archaeologically that, you know, three, that basically millions of years ago, we were scavengers. Well, when we were, before that, we were foragers. And when we were scavengers, and we're talking, you know, three million years ago, something like that, we did get access to muscle meat. It was after the predator had killed the animal. We, they, they ate the parts that were chosen. And then we, we, with the buzzards, would get like, you know, some muscle meat and whatever was left on the carcass. Well, we still didn't change that much then, as he points out. It's really when it's about 2.5 million years, so a little bit later, we got three things. We became the predator and we got three things that we had not gotten before. And that was blood, organs, and fat. Those three things are what predators eat first. Mm. That's what okay. they get. And so, because those are the most nutritious right. parts. And when that happened, when we started getting those parts of the animal, we got a bigger brain, we got language, we got more access to tools. This is also the time period where we got access to fire. But we could not be having this conversation right now if we did not get blood, organs, and fat. So those are the so top the importance three things that come from animal protein that that really uh, takes our our health to the another level. Is that what you're saying? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And if you look historically, it's gotten a bad rap. I mean, um, blood sausage or blood pudding you mm -hmm. find in, in mm -hmm. Ireland, right? I'm sure people have yeah. heard of that. That is utilizing the blood in the sausage of the animal. I grew up on blood sausage. So oh, my, well, my family's that. French Basque. And there so from the Pyrenees area. Um, and so nothing, like I said, nothing went to waste. <laughs> And that is what we've lost. You know, like you said, your mother and your your family historically had it right. They were utilizing all the parts of the animal. And there is a concept, it's an ancestral concept, but this is very much what they were living, is like supports like. So the idea is that you're eating the part of the animal that's going to support that part in you. And I love that you said you ate brain. And I know that I know that there are lots of reasons why we have Alzheimer's and dementia, but I do find it fascinating that we're also in a period of a, a generational period where we're not eating brain anymore. And when you were younger and when your parents were older and your grandparents, they did eat brain. And look at how dementia in, our, in, in Alzheimer's has gone up. It has not gone down. It's gone up. And I cannot help but wonder if that's what, one of the reasons why. It's because we're not eating that part of the organ that would have supported that part in us. That is a really fascinating concept. To, to that, as you said, like supports like. So if you're eating brain, if you're eating liver, these things can and kidney. I mean, these can really support our bodies. Absolutely, each organ is designed to do a job, and mm. that the 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 nutrients and vitamins and minerals that go into that organ to support it doing its job. That is, that's the same thing in your body. Mm -hmm. our, our heart has CoQ10. Our heart has certain minerals that are going to support heart health. Well, guess what is also high in CoQ10? Beef heart. You know what I mean? Like wow. the heart of the other animals also high in that. And I find it fascinating to your point of that we're, we're wasting these parts of the animal. We're just right. discarding them. 
But then know what we're doing is we're turning around and we're spending $50 billion on supplements that are supplying what those organs would supply. Right, right. I mean, and I hate the waste. Again, as a farmer, I mean, I find uses for every part. You know, when I grow broccoli, I don't throw the stems away. I mean, I I just find use for every part. That's the way that was my upbringing. And, you know... I think animal, I mean, first of all, animals are expensive. When you go to the supermarket, protein is expensive. And as inflation goes up and our budgets change, we need to figure out how do we still get high quality protein without breaking the bank. And again, throwing 49% of an animal away is just... It's, it's literally, it's insanity. It's insa- it like, insanity. If it was any other industry, it would be looked at as insanity. Mm-hmm. You know, um, 93% of Americans are nutrient deficient. I actually, that's an old number. That's from like 2015. So I think I, it's more like 95%. I think 95% you're probably right. Now. We're not getting anywhere near the amounts of fruits and vegetables per day. Um, and, you know, we're not getting really good grass-fed meat. And um, no. that brings me to another question. In the food industry, you're... You're known as the how guy. You show people how to eat a more nutrient-dense diet. And of course, the, the lens I'm looking through food at now and you know everything else in my life for the most part is, is I don't want to get cancer again. So how do I go to my local supermarket or local farmer's market and make these changes so it makes my body healthier so that I don't end up with cancer again or any other, you know, diseases of the modern world. Well, I want to start first by saying kudos to you because one of the biggest things I've seen in my 20 years in this industry is that it takes someone getting sick or someone they love getting sick to actually make a change. I I say kudos to you though, because I'm sorry that you got sick to learn this lesson. However, you did it. Like you, you listened. Because a lot of people don't, they still get sick and then they still don't change. They start looking for a magic pill. It's really it's like, true. It, 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 the biggest thing we can do, the best thing any of us can do every single day is listen. Listen to our body's feedback. Listen to the community around us. Listen to our own you know, instincts. There, there's, there's multiple levels, but the more listening we are doing, I believe the better off we will be. And one thing that we can immediately start doing with our food choices is we can start looking for things that are ingredients versus that have ingredients. Hmm. Okay, so let me just say that back to you. Look for things that are ingredients versus have ingredients. Okay, unpack that for me. Yeah. So we cannot be healthy if we are eating out. Mm. When you eat out, you're basically relying on someone else, some other industry to tell you, oh, well, this is what healthy is, or you can trust me with the ingredients. And the reality is, is you cannot. Every business, whether they're selling a food product or a restaurant, food service, doesn't matter. They are a business. They have a bottom line. There's very low margins on food products and food industry, very low margins. And so the way that we in the food industry make money is we have to increase those margins. And so the way that most people do it is they get cheap ingredients. And what are the cheapest ingredients? It's ultra-processed vegetable oils, it's salt, it's sugar, it's these ingredients that are not expensive. And these are the things that are resulting in these high inflammation diets and in these very high sugar diets. Um, The amount of kids that I see now that are type 1 diabetic 
is alarming. <sighs> Tragic. Right? Yeah. And so it all goes to our food choices. I, I always encourage people to, the thing that we're gonna, we're, that's going to move the needle the most is what you're putting in your mouth. I think you all know how much I love ButcherBox. Probably the biggest driver for me is the quality. And I love that ButcherBox focuses on small family fisheries so they know who's fishing for the sockeye salmon. And they also focus on small family ranches where, again, they visit these ranches and they, they know that these animals are being treated humanely. And that is probably my biggest driver. I also had many of you reach out to me and tell me, hey, I want to try ButcherBox, but I don't want to commit to a full year. So I have great news for you. You can go ahead and use my code and sign up for as long as you want. Of course, right now we're doing the free bison in every box and you still get the free bison in every box and $20 off of your first box. So all you have to do is go to butcherbox.com forward slash Enos and then use the code Enos and then you're gonna get $20 off of your first order and then free bison in every box for up to a year. This is a great opportunity to just try out ButcherBox without having to commit to 12 months. I have to tell you, I get so excited when I get that delivery box at my front door because I know it's going to be incredibly high quality protein that honestly, I can't get at any supermarkets near my home. So give ButcherBox a try. I think you'll love them. There is a price to be paid for convenience. And, you know, if I'm at a supermarket and I just think, oh, I've got some, you know, my nephews are coming over. I'm just going to pick up a couple of frozen pizzas. And I do stand there and I read the labels. And when it's, you know, this long and I have a science degree and if I don't even recognize the word, (laughs) it's like, okay, it's going back. And I'd rather just, you know, I'll make something else. Or, you know, there usually is a lesser processed item that you but you just need to spend some time you know really looking for those things yeah it might be cheaper in that moment but what do you what what's the cost you pay later because there's lots of people with acid reflux there's lots of people that have these chronic health issues that they're constantly having to buy some kind of pharmaceutical or some kind of supplement to to ease that chronic illness right so are they factoring in that cost are they factoring in the time that they are that they're spending going from store to store to get these things or the time that they're spending in this digestive distress are they counting that are they counting 30 years from now when they're in the hospital because they have so many chronic issues that now they do have serious stuff going on and then they're dependent on doctors and pharmaceuticals are they counting that and most people are not we're very short-sighted. Right. Yeah, I think we're short-sighted. And well, let's face it, poor and cheap food, you know, highly ultra-processed, we've normalized that. And it's part of family celebrations. And it's part of, you know, I'm going to stop at Starbucks on my way to work. And um, I buy, you know, I don't buy, but I know people buy what I call a sugar coffee, you know, where it's just, you know, there's 18 packets of sugar and a venti blah, 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 fill in the blank. And that's more sugar than you should have in four days. And you've consumed it before 9 a.m. And um, I just think we just get in a rhythm. And so my question is, how do we get out of a rhythm of ultra-processed? 
if we're shopping at a, our local supermarket, do you have tips for people Absolutely. To, to break that cycle? So one of the e- hardest to do, but that, that gives you the most bang for your buck is meal planning. So before you even get to the grocery store, you should be coming with a list. Because when you come with a list, you're not making emotional purchases. Your meal planning, you can base that meal plan on your work week. So don't just willy-nilly just go like, oh, well, let's just have this, 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 this. No, no, no. Open your schedule or look at your day. Look at your week. Is today the day that you're scheduling a meal? Is that day conducive towards you cooking that meal? Because what happens is if we don't do that, what happens is we're stuck in meetings all day. We have a very stressful day where we've already been making lots of decisions and then we get decision fatigue at the end of the day. And what happens with decision fatigue is you, you throw your hands in the air. I don't, I don't want to cook. I don't want to make any more decisions. Let's go eat pizza. So suddenly now you are defaulting to something that is nowhere near going to be as healthy right. as what you could have made in your house That's right. from scratch. Those days when you're meal planning, those are slow cooker days. Because what you can do is you can start that slow cooker in the morning, throw the food in, set that timer, and it is ready for you when you get off of work. Yeah. There's no more work needed. And there's leftovers, you know, so then you've got probably a couple of days of meals. Oh, absolutely. Well, I recommend no matter what, no matter what you're making, whether it's slow cooker or other, you always have leftovers because yeah. that dinner is the next day's lunch. Every absolutely. single day. We should not be in that kitchen all the time. You should not be making four course meals every day. We, 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 we don't want to get locked into this obsessiveness of going overboard or underboard. We want to find balance, but don't let it stop you. I mean, I definitely agree. I think having a good instant pot or, or, or slow cook or something like that, um, maybe a food processor is also helpful, but I definitely don't want people to think mm. like, Oh, to be healthy, mm-hmm. I have to be wealthy. Um, I, I don't want you anyone getting trapped into that thinking that mm-hmm. what you have in your kitchen has to uh, dictate how you eat. Because the reality is, is that if if you if you look at the numbers when we eat out, we do spend more. It's hands. It, they're, they're not apples apples. It truly is different. I mean, yes, you you initially go to that grocery store and your bill might be one hundred and fifty dollars, and you might go, "Oh my gosh!" But that's three to five days worth of food. You spent that $150 when you went to one meal restaurant. That's true. You know, so it's it's such a different reality. Yeah. And when you have food uh, that is pre-planned, that's in that kitchen, like this is so key is you are in control of those ingredients. When you go to a restaurant, one of the things that a lot of people don't realize when they eat at restaurants is the restaurant, I mentioned earlier, I mentioned the that they have they're trying to make money, right? So they have bottom lines and whatnot. Well, one thing that that a lot of people don't realize is Mm -hmm. when you're in the restaurant business, you're not making everything from scratch. And if you are, you're a very high-end restaurant. But here's the thing. Most restaurants, there's there's a hierarchy Mm -hmm. to the people in the kitchen. kitchen. And most restaurants do not have chefs. They are people that are uh, cooks or lower in, in the hierarchy. They don't actually understand how to balance a recipe. What they know how to do is to follow a recipe. But if let's just say that mm. dressing at that restaurant, okay. if they are making it from scratch and that person doesn't understand how to make it better just through the recipe, they will then just add sugar to balance it out. So if it gets too bitter, what do you do? You just add sugar. That's what they're taught. 
So the, a lot of times, even when you're getting the dressing in a restaurant, it's high in sugar. Fascinating. Okay. Oh, it's incredible. They use sugar in everything. And that's why when you go to restaurants and when you buy food from, a, from the shelf, it's either very salty or sweet. It's because those are both cheap ingredients, but it's also how okay. you balance the recipe. In, okay. a, in a very simplistic way. I, we have a what I call a fancy supermarket. It's about seven minutes from my house. And, <laughs> and I, I, I'm there a lot because I like, I like me a good fancy supermarket. And I was looking for convenient lunch for myself and for my husband a couple of weeks ago. And I was at their deli. And uh, I mean, they have amazing food, lots of lentils, lots of great plant-based. And, but every dish was canola oil. If it need, if it required oil, it was canola yep. oil. And I finally just said, because I think we need to speak up. And I said to the person behind the counter, I said, you know, I would love to buy about five of these different items. But I said, I can't because all, I see canola oil in the ingredients. I said, is there a chance that you guys can change these out? And she said, we won't because canola oil is inexpensive and it Basically, it extends the shelf life, in their opinion. Yeah, it's it's that's. I mean, that's it, right? So, so when a restaurant, mm-hmm. when a grocery store is making it in house, they are doing things that are not necessarily conducive towards your health. They're conducive towards their bottom line. So, what are they doing? A lot of right. times, when you see meats that have been yeah. um, cut up and they're they're already pre made in the, in the um, the meat area, that's because that meat's going to be going to bad soon. So, they need to use it up right? They're trying not to lose money, right? And then they're adding marinades and stuff. They're adding seasonings. When you buy sausage from a grocery store in the butcher area, a lot of times they're just, it's not there. They're not chefs back there. We need to take the time to care about what we're putting in our bodies. And I will admit, you know, I, just like everybody else on the planet, I'm, I'm busy and I could probably take some more time in this area. So, James, if I'm going to take more time in this area, what's the what's the where's the first place I start? Yeah, it's such a great question and I think it's a question we should all ask and it might be a different answer for everyone depending on your schedule. But where I where I recommend we start is with the dressings and the and the sauces, those kind of things because those are the things that uh, we're we're using that are supposedly time savers. And they are the ones that have the most horrible ingredients in them. I completely, completely agree with you because I've been on this canola oil, you know, soapbox all summer long. And of course it's summer. So I may, I'm, I'm growing salad greens and arugula and all these great things. And I just, sometimes I'm just lazy and I, I don't want to take the time to make my own salad dressing. And I'm, you know, back at my fancy supermarket and I'm picking up salad dressing after salad dressing and just saying, well, crap, I'm just going to have to go <laughs> home and make my own darn salad dressing, which yeah, now- Yeah, because it is all crap. Right, it is crap. And now I'm in the <laughs> habit of it and I've gotten pretty good at making salad dressing. So I'm going to have to post some recipes, but my goodness, like it, it, you're right. It is junk. They're just junk. Yeah. So, I'm, so I, yeah. here, here's a value add here. Okay. So um, here's how to make your own salad dressing in 30 seconds. Oh, okay. go for it. You need a mason jar okay, and you need to follow this ratio. So it's three to one. You can go five to one if you want, but three to one will work. So three parts of a fat and one part of an acid. So three parts of any oil you have in your cupboard. Hopefully it's the extra virgin olive oil. Maybe it's walnut oil. Maybe it's avocado oil. You you tell me. Whatever you got in there, 
three parts of that. Now, when I say parts, it's a ratio. So as long as you use the exact same part for each ratio, it doesn't matter what you use. You could use the cap of the olive oil. Mm. As long as you do three caps of that and use the exact same cap for the vinegar, then that's three to one. I recommend just using like a tablespoon, Mm. right? You could use a, a fourth of a cup. Right. So it, you could use an eighth of a cup. It, it's whatever you use, but that's just stick to that same vessel mm. of measurement, three parts, uh, three of it for the fat, and then choose your acid. Acid could be lemon juice. It could be lime juice. It could be balsamic vinegar. It could you literally be any vinegar you want. Mm. And then stick three fat parts of the oil, three and one part of the vinegar into that mason jar, cover it tightly, shake it, you are done. You oh, can add some salt and pepper if you want, okay. but it's that that is your ratio for a vinaigrette. And it's that simple. So it is truly so that simple. As go. long as you have it on hand, those ingredients on hand, it's a 30, <laughs> 30 to 60 second dressing. Okay. So James, I want to talk about your company, Pleck. I first tried your product at my National Association of Nutrition Professionals, try saying that three times fast, um, a couple of years ago. And it's basically seasoning. I'm, I, I love se- I myself a good seasoning. And it is seasoning made with organ meat. So... Yeah, tell well, so me, we were talking earlier about the tell you know, me about how nutrient-dense organ meats are. And and really, I just want to reiterate is that they have, you know, rich, they're rich in fat soluble vitamins like A, vitamin A, D, E, and K. Um, they have um, minerals like, and, and they have minerals like potassium, um, uh, iron, magnesium. And what's amazing is that they have them in the ratios that are most absorbable. So they have them in, in the kind of what we call mother nature made. So it's, it's like mother nature's vitamin. There's, you know, like when you're told to eat certain fat soluble vitamins that they say, oh, eat them with food, right? That's because that vitamin is isolated and it doesn't right. have any fat in it. Well, when you're eating it from the organ meats, it's as mother nature intended, it is the food. So it's really, really, um, important when mm. we think about organ meats is not just that they're nutrient dense, but they're also bioavailable, meaning they're, they're easily absorbed by the body. And that is something that's very important for people to be aware of because a lot of these okay. supplements that we are swallowing, sometimes they don't even get absorbed. They go right out. So you're basically paying for very expensive pee. That's basically what it is. So you really want to get as many of your nutrients from the food you eat because you know if it's a real food, it's going to be as Mother Nature intended it. You're right. And so I thought, well, wait a second. What if I made it into something you could just sprinkle it on your food? Because we already have freeze-dried and powdered organ meat. That's what's in the capsules that people are buying. What if I combine them with shelf-stable organics, you know, s- spices and herbs? And, and suddenly I, I had this idea that no one had done before. And suddenly um, I started making it and I got feedback from people of like, wow, it actually made food taste better. So the organ meats have this natural umami to them. So not only are they nutrient dense, but they actually add a fifth unique flavor to food. And what's fascinating is when you get a unique flavor like umami, so we have salty, sweet, bitter, sour. Well, umami is that fifth one. And it's because it's completely unique, our taste buds almost awaken from it and it brightens the other flavors. It does. Mm-hmm. It's, it's truly amazing. And you'll find that uh, the industry puts 
things like um, MSG in food products should to do that very thing, but they're doing mm. it with something that may be causing harm to people, whereas organ meats are not causing harm. So it's one is a little bit more natural and one's a little bit more synthetic. Okay, so are you saying that MSG is kind of a umami replacement then? Absolutely. That's why they Which, do it. Which of course comes with a whole host of problems and allergies and, you know, just MSG. Uh which we've been using for a long time in our food. Yeah, yeah. A lot of people get headaches from them, and there's there's lots of issues. Um, but uh, organ meats, basically, they're doing it to add flavor, and and they know that when they add something umami, which is also kind of what's a way to talk about umami. Umami is savory. Sometimes people call it a little meaty. Um, it's it basically makes the food tastes better. So it brightens the flavor of the food, but it also connects to this part of our brain that is the uh, the addictive part. So it actually makes you want to eat more of the food. And so the industry knows that, of course. Well, hold on. What? So, so MSG can be addictive? It, the glutamate in the MSG uh, <gasps> is very addictive. Wow, which basically just keeps you coming back for more. Yeah, it's the flavor. It's not necessarily, it's the hmm. flavor that it brings out. And you'll notice it in, in foods that that's kind of the same reason why we love uh, kettle corn, right? It's the salt. You get a certain amount of salty, but then you get hit with the sweet. We, we mm -hmm. very much in America, our palates range from salty to sweet. It's kind of like an elevator in a sense. Mm -hmm. You know, if you get too much salty, then you need sweet to bring the elevator down. And then mm -hmm. when you get too much sweet, you need some salty to bring it back up. It's kind of, it, that's, that's where we coexist. We do need to take more time with our food, honestly, in the preparation and the purchasing and the reading of labels, go into farmer's markets, support your local farmers. You know, there are good foods out there to be had, but it's the, I mean, eating is probably the, the most important thing you can do each day to boost your health and to change your life. And we can't just run through the supermarket just flinging things into the cart. We need to at least a few times a month, really take our time and do some meal planning. Absolutely. And in the front of that package is a billboard. That front of the package has no regulation, really, barely any. And it's really all about, ooh, what will get you to pull me off the shelf and put it in, in your car? That is what they're doing. A lot of times, it's even false advertisement. They'll say, like, made with olive oil, but then you turn around the back and it's like, no, it's a hybrid olive oil. It's like a little bit of olive oil and canola oil. Right. It's a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And yeah, so the marketing is on the front. Don't fall for the front of the packaging. Really I always tell my listeners, you got to flip the package around and the truth is on the back and you got to push the pause button and you, and you really need to spend some time on those ingredients. And speaking of ingredients, I'm just going to do a shout out for Pluck because I love your seasonings and I love that it's a seasoning that is doing my body good because it's got organ meats in it. And for anybody who, as we talked about earlier, has that, you know, ick factor, it doesn't taste like liver doesn't taste like spleen or kidney. It tastes like a really good, high quality, maybe Himalayan salt mixed with a little bit of, you know, garlic or onion. I mean, it just tastes like really great seasoning salt. Thank you. Yeah. So, so pluck basically takes five organs. So it takes the liver, the heart, the kidney, the spleen, and the pancreas. So five organs that not, most of us are not eating all five. For maybe sure. some liver there, here and there, maybe mm -hmm. heart, but I guarantee people are not eating all five, and um, and what and they all five going back to the like supports 
like, right? So they they all have their individual things that they're supporting. For mm-hmm. example, the pancreas has natural enzymes that actually is going to support the digestion of that meal. So you don't have to take those pineapple enzymes when you're using pluck. It's it's in there for you. Mm-hmm. It's in there. And so we we combine them. I, I I am a chef by trade, so I combine them so that you would not taste the right. organic meat because I knew right. that we're it's not eating it because yeah. of that ick factor. So I knew if I got them into your diet and you didn't even know they were in your diet, then you would have no excuse not to eat them often. And it really is the key. My kids love it and they know exactly what it is, but I, I've talked to tons of parents that they use it, their kids don't even know, and their kids freak out right. over it too. They right. love it. And to feed them and to your part family of that, I believe, and your is picky children. Uh, as a child, yes. we instinctively know what yeah, our body okay. needs. Yeah. And two is I think that they it just, as you point out, it tastes really good. So I think both might be true is that the body is getting something that it needs. And so it's, it's wanting more of that. Mm-hmm. And they like the taste. Um, one thing, if you're a parent and, and want to try it is try pluck on popcorn when you do family night. It is, it is amazing. Like you won't be able mm-hmm. to have popcorn the same way again. It, 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 you'll, you'll never be able to have it without pluck. Um, again, because it's so delicious. But oh, what, what you're getting idea. though is you're really getting the micro dosing of those organ meats frequently okay. the more you use it. So the power of using it okay. like a seasoning is that it's, it requires no new habit. So I'm not telling you to go out and you know, run after you eat every day, you know, for 30 minutes. I'm not telling you to buy some new contraption that you now have to use for 60 minutes each, every other day. It's, we already Mm -hmm. season our food. I'm just saying, instead of putting Lowry's on there, put this on there. And now you're getting all these nutrients. You're getting the micro dosing. You're getting really high quality salt. We use Redmond real salt. Um, And something Mm -hmm. going back to the kind of how, products are made in the U.S. in general. Uh, we talked about how a lot of these companies are using cheaper product, you know, cheaper ingredients, right? Well, when you go to buy seasonings here in the U.S., um, a lot of times, what's the cheapest ingredient? It's the salt. So you're going to see salt is always going to be the first ingredient because it's the cheapest. And the more they put in it, the cheaper they can sell that, you know, the more they can make on the product. But you'll notice on pluck, it's not the first ingredient. Salt is something like the fourth ingredient, third or fourth, depending on which one you're getting. Wow, I didn't and notice so that. Okay. Yeah. So when you're buying pluck, you need to know that it's you're, you're truly buying a high quality seasoning. The first ingredient on most of our products is onion, which is one of the things that helps offset that taste. And the second ingredient is the organ meats. So it is what it says it is. It's not, it's not this kind of... Uh, it's not an illusion. You know, we're not trying to say like, oh, buy this, but you're only getting a tiny amount. It's like you're getting good amounts and you're getting very high quality flavor, which you won't find in most seasonings. You, you, most seasonings are just salty. That's You get a little flavor with a lot of salt. This is a lot of flavor with little salt. Yeah. And that's a really good point to make is that our seasonings that we're adding to food can actually end up boosting our health as long as we spend some time choosing those seasonings because we don't want the cheap, again, to go back to that word I used earlier, we don't want the cheap crap in our food. We're spending X amount every year, maybe on organic and non-GMO. Let's finish the race strong by, you know, making sure our seasonings are doing something good for our bodies. 
Well, and you got to read, you can't assume seasonings, uh, like you got to read those ingredients, everyone, mm-hmm. because for example, I use Lowry's as an example, the, the, their, their seasoning salt. Um, I know the first ingredient is salt. And I think the second ingredient is either sugar or some kind of, um, I think it is sugar. I think it's salt and sugar are the first two ingredients. Who, who would think that a seasoned salt would have sugar in it? My gosh. Yeah, but they do. And then they, they also, a lot of times they have canola oil in them. And then they yep. also, a lot of times will use some kind of preservative. Mm, to um, keep it from caking and all of that because yeah. of the salts. Yeah. Yeah. So, oh, boy. so and that's in none, of, that's none of that is in pluck. And it's just, once again, I, you know, I'm a father. I have two kids. It's, it's for me, it's all about, I made this for me and my kids, mm-hmm. you know, and I, and I'm hoping everyone else can benefit from it as well. But yeah. it's all about what ingredient, what are the ingredients in the food that we're putting in our mouth? And if, if they have any any ingredients that you don't understand, don't recognize, you should not be putting that in your mouth unless you have done the research and discovered, oh, wait, that's just a fancier name for baking soda or whatever mm-hmm. it is. You, you want to you understand that because yeah. um, the thing that we do the most is we eat. We do. So, so be curious. You know, yeah. be curious and and seek more information and and honestly, y'all, you got to try this product. I'm and I'm going to make homemade popcorn tonight, so I can put oh, you got to use popcorn. it. Okay, that's going to yeah, be my little some, after um, dinner treat. <laughs> use some fat. So I I yep. sometimes will either use olive oil or I'll use some butter. Mm-hmm. Some people use ghee. But I use ghee. Either, yep. Oh, perfect. Yeah. So just make sure you use some fat as well and then just mm-hmm. sprinkle pluck on there. And I promise you, you will you will be amazed at how delicious okay, it is. Okay. I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> James, This I, I learned so much today. And as I said, I love seasoning and I've never really thought that seasonings could actually improve my health. So thank you for coming on the podcast. And boy... <laughs> My eyes have been open today. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you again for having me and for just supporting people in these health, in their health and in and just their awareness. Cause I always t- I'm always trying to make this point that we only know what we know. We only know what we know. And so now I feel like I know more after our conversation. We only know what we know. And so our goal is to do do the best you can. And when you know better, do better. That's all you can do. Yeah. Well, thank you, James. Thank you. Do you love this podcast? I really hope you do. I really love doing the podcast. But I'm going to ask a big favor. Can you either review the podcast or subscribe or even do both? That's how people find this podcast. And y'all know I am so passionate about it. I want everybody in the whole world to be listening. So anything you can do to help boost me in the algorithms. I don't even know what an algorithm is, but I hear it's really important to get reviews and people to subscribe and to download. So please, when you get a chance, pass along this podcast to your friends and leave me a review. Thank you for joining me today on the Why Did I Get Cancer podcast. I've got my shopping guide for all of my cancer self-care items in the show notes, along with information about today's guest and our show sponsors. And don't forget to subscribe to my podcast so you never miss an episode. Keep in mind, I'm not a doctor. I'm just a gal that got diagnosed with cancer and wanted answers. If you need medical advice, please be sure to consult with a medical professional. And thank you for listening.